the chapter that we have before us this morning is one that should be special, and it is special to many believers. It speaks of Christ's enormous care for his people. He looks after his people with the care of a true shepherd. This illustration that he gives drives to the heart of many truths that each of us experience in the Christian life. We love to read this chapter because we can sense through it his love for and his protection for us. This morning, I want us to consider Christ and his sheep. That's my subject for you this morning, Christ and his sheep, and with a specific emphasis upon the enormous care that Christ takes for his people. Take note that this passage comes immediately on the heels of John chapter 9, that we talked about in our Sunday school hour this morning. In that chapter, Christ heals the blind man, and he does it at the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus had gone out and found the blind man, one of his sheep, and that sheep had given testimony of Jesus before the pastors of Israel. And his testimony was so convincing and so straightforward, and he would not recant to the point that they had excommunicated him from the church of Israel. He was following Christ, and he was suffering for it. This is the scene that gives rise to the discourse that Jesus makes here concerning the relationship that he has to his sheep. Men may cast them out, but he never will. They may have never fit in with society, but they belong to Jesus. And he will always hold them. This is the scene that takes place between verse 1 and verse 21. But then in verse 22, we see a division in the passage. All of a sudden, we read there, and it was at Jerusalem the Feast of the Dedication, and it was winter. And so from the the Jewish calendar, we understand that this is three months after the Feast of the Tabernacles, where, where the first events take place. Jesus heals his sheep, and then he teaches on his relationship to his sheep. And the people don't understand at that time what he's teaching about. And then he comes back to the next feast, And three months earlier, these people are still remembering what Jesus had taught three months later. And it has them in a buzz. Um, Do you remember the last time Jesus was at the feast and he taught about the sheep? His relationship to his sheep, what did he mean by that? And there's a division still among the people and they go back and forth and they're questioning with each other concerning what it is. That he taught. And they haven't quite grasped what he meant by that teaching. So they come to him. And the key question that they're going to ask him in verse 24 is, Who are you? Say, how long will you make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. The people listening to Christ, you see, they had understood the story. The little illustration, it that Christ gave about a a shepherd keeping watch over his sheep, they understood it. It was very common to their lives. They all had experienced it or seen it. Um, 
a shepherd keeping the care for their sheep in various ways. But they didn't understand the spiritual truths that were there to be, to be learned. And so at the second feast, they come to him and they're still wondering, what is it that you were teaching of yourself the first time around? And there were divisions again about it among the people. To help us get it this morning, I want to just say that the simplest way to understand this passage is that Christ tells a story that was common to their experience. And then instead of expounding every single element of that story for them, he takes and highlights, focuses in on two key items about his story and teaches spiritual truth about himself from those two elements, from those two items. First, in verse 7, Christ says, I am the door. He takes that title. So he gives this illustration of the shepherd and the porter, and, and the door opens to the true shepherd. And there's one doorway in this fold. He says, I am the door. He pulls out that one element. And then in verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. And the natural question that kind of comes to, to mind, and maybe part of this um, teaching scenario that perplexed the people so much was this natural question that arrives. So, so which one is it? You know, are you the door or are you the shepherd? Um, but I think if we understand the role that the ancient shepherd played, um, in caring for the sheep, I think we come to the answer that, or to the opinion that the answer is both. He is both the door and he is the shepherd and he's the shepherd and he's the door all at the same time. You see, shepherds in the time of Christ, they would make folds to protect their sheep. As they were out in the wilderness wandering and their sheep were grazing and they found a good pasture, they'd set up shop there and they'd stay for a few days. They didn't necessarily come in and out of town every day. And they would pull around into a circle or a square, but some sort of enclosure. It doesn't really matter what the, um, what the shape of it was. They would pull brush together or pile up stones in order to make an enclosure where the sheep could be protected and they would have one door in that enclosure. And then the shepherd, at nighttime, he would herd the sheep in there. They would be protected from wolves or whatever else may try to ail them. And then he would lie down himself in the door, forming the threshold so that nothing could get in unless it came through him. And nothing could get out. Lovingly, of course, unless it came through him. And so the sheep were protected from possibly their own stupidity by being kept in the fold by the shepherd. This is the point, I think, being made by the combination of these two titles for Christ in the passage. Christ is the shepherd lying in the doorway of the fold. Now, Christ makes mention, though, of a man called the porter. Um, 
at the beginning of the passage. He says that there's a porter, and the porter only opens to the true shepherd. And many times when a shepherd would come into town, there were more resources available. And so there would be maybe a more fancy fold made of stones instead of just brush that's piled together like he would have to do on his own out in the wilderness. But there would also be folks that he could hire and that would be the ones that would lie in the doorway overnight. And he could go maybe find a a spot in an inn. But that is what the reference to a porter is, that the porter is the man that would keep watch by night um, in a town. And all of the shepherd's sheep would be in one common fold. And the true shepherd, the porter, would know who had hired him. The shepherds would come back in the morning to get their sheep. And the porter would open the way to them. And then the shepherd would call his sheep. And they would hear his voice. And they would follow him. But the sheep that did not know his voice would stay in the fold. And so the illustration was to this people and that was common they all understood it it was common to their experience but this morning i want to talk about christ and his sheep and the care that he gives to them and as we get down to discussing that subject um, i want to show you first of all that the care of christ for his sheep is enormous It's enormous. As we approach the passage, reading of the Good Shepherd, the thing that jumps to our mind immediately is the depth of care that a shepherd would have for his sheep. And while that is on the surface of this passage, no denying it, there's also an aspect of this title that's given to Christ that's easy to overlook. Christ says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And these are are titles that are pointing us to his nature. The care of Christ for his sheep is enormous because of who Christ is. He says, I am. Every time that Christ said those two words, He's referencing himself, and he is referencing Exodus 3 and claiming that to apply to himself. The encounter that Moses has with Jehovah at the burning bush, we're familiar with the phrase that comes out and is so iconic of that passage. Jehovah says, I am that I am. And Christ, every time he claims or takes a title to himself where he names himself as I am, is referencing his divine nature. He said once, I am the vine. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. And here in our passage, I am the door and I am the good shepherd. We should realize that he is pointing out certain things about his nature when Christ takes these titles. He's claiming to be a deity. Christ's care for us is enormous 
by nature of who he is. The first thing that strikes our mind when we read what God said to Moses is that he is eternal. I am that I am. I was forever in the beginning, and I am forever in the end. I was not created, and I will not cease to exist. I am. This is Christ. This is who Christ is. He is and always has been. This shepherd has taken care of every single sheep from Adam until the current day. And this shepherd will take care of his sheep all the way into eternity. Look down at verse 28 and read there with me the words of our Lord. And I give unto them eternal life, eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. Do you see? Because Christ and the Father are one and the same, they are the eternal God, the care that our shepherd has for us is enormous. It spans eternity. It, before we ever were thought of by our parents, God knew us and who we are. Another thing that comes to mind when we read this name, I am, that God takes for himself in Exodus 3, is that he is self-sufficient. He is self-sufficient. He has no need for anyone or for anything outside of himself. The earth doesn't exist because God is bored and somehow decided that he needed to create some entertainment for himself. God didn't create man because he needed a friend, somebody to fellowship with. He is complete in and of himself. He doesn't have need of anything outside of himself. This is an aspect that we refer to when we say that God's, we talk about God's aseity. He is an an aseic being. He has no need for anything outside of himself. And this is Christ. As a member of the Godhead, he is self-sufficient and he's not in need of anything or anyone outside of himself. He is the word of God and spoke creation into existence. Not because he needed it, but because it brought him glory. Who he is. When creation fell, he was still in that same self-sufficient form with the other members of the Godhead. And he had no no need to reach down. No need to intervene here on earth. Except that it glorified him to do it. The psalmist says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? The son of man that thou visitest him. This one, who is self-sufficient, is mindful of his sheep, you and I. This is enormous care. He is his self-sufficient nature 
makes it enormous. The third thing that comes to mind from this name, I am that I am, is that God is unchangeable. He is a fixed point of reference. Well, his being is complex. I don't mean that it's simple that he's in one spot and contained like a human being. So his being is complex. It, it's, it doesn't change, though. It doesn't change. He is consistent. He will always act with perfection of character. He will always be perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly good, perfectly truthful, perfectly wise, perfect in power. His arm is never going to grow weary. This has a lot of other ramifications. He is not emotional and flighty. This is Christ, though. He will not change. What is the most dear thing about Christ to you? Draw from your personal experience as you have walked with him. There are some of us in the room that have just asked for the first time for Jesus to come and to wash our sins away and to take us to be one of his sheep. There are things that are dear to you that are not dear to others who are more experienced in the same way. Maybe the, the love needs to be revived in those of us who are old. And we need to remember the great things that Christ accomplished for us. Maybe you're a bit older and more experienced. Have lost somewhat the first joy that you had when, when you found Christ as your Savior. Maybe you can reflect back on those moments. But maybe, and I would say, indeed, there are other ways that as you have walked with Christ, he has become precious to you. And you know the depth and the breadth of his love for you because you have experienced him through years. Christ does not change. He will always be that same Christ. Is it that you came out of some great darkness? Your life was stuck deep in the mire of sin. And there might be such shame, such shame about who you were, what you've done. But Jesus came and he bade the darkness flee. Is that what causes Jesus to be precious to you? Indeed, all we like sheep were gone astray. But perhaps you feel that you have a special knowledge of just how far astray you were. Perhaps you know just how far Christ had to venture to find you, his lost sheep. And this makes him precious to you. Christ is not going to change. He will, he is, and always will be that same Savior. There are many like you who will experience eternal life under the care of this mindful shepherd. 
because he will not change. This is the nature of Christ. This is what makes his care for us so enormous. He said, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. So the care of Christ is enormous because of his divine nature. And we see that in the start because of these titles, I am. But the care of Christ for his people can also be seen as enormous because of its depth. Look with me at verse 11 and the few verses following. There in verse 11, we read, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also must I bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay my life down, lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. The care of Christ goes so far that he would give his life for his people. This is why he is the good shepherd. There is real care, real concern, real value that he places in his people's well-being. His care is so enormous that he would give his life to ensure the well-being of his sheep. Specifically, take note of, of the courageous action. This is a courageous action on the part of our good shepherd. We see this in contrast with the hireling in verses 12 and 13. A fierce animal, a wolf, approaches the hired shepherd. And this man, he clears out a dodge. He's gone. He's just there to make a living for his family. And you know he's happy to feed the sheep. He's happy to water the sheep. Um, he's happy to make sure they, they aren't getting themselves out of the fold and lost at night. Um, but when real danger is pre- present... He figures it's more important to live. Um, And I don't think the point of this story is to shame the hireling, after all. um, Any man knows the importance of being there for his family. Instead, though, the point is to show the danger and, and the resulting fear of this hireling. That's a natural response. In one way, we can't blame him. The fear of losing your life is tremendous. So, And then it's going to be in a violent way. Here comes a wolf, right? But this shows us the depth of courage that Christ has 
He went to a violent death, to the death of the cross for his sheep. He knew it was going to happen. He came to the earth and he knew from the beginning that it was going to happen. It wasn't a mysterious thing. None of the things that transpired were mysterious to him. He was God. He was full of knowledge. And he knew death was going to come. He came for that purpose. But what's more than that? There are the... There are things about the death of Christ that we can't understand. What is it for the wrath of God, this eternal being who has been infinitely offended? I once tried to write a paper on the infinity of God. I realized that that subject in seminary was going to be impossible to write about. And so I wanted to take it on. The foolishness of youth. <laughs> Needless to say, I had to limit my scope in some way. Um, and we can try to grasp eternity or infinity by saying God is eternal. And that's talking about God being infinite in regard to time. He stretches beyond, we know a start and an end, and God goes beyond that. And there ends our understanding of eternity. And so that's a way that we can sort of grasp the idea of infinity. Limitlessness, utter limitlessness. And I'm going to stop here (laughs) talking about infinity. I'm not going to give you my whole paper. Um, There's a reason that the catechism doesn't ask us to tell more about that in our uh, catechism questions. But if God is infinite, his wrath is infinite. It is limitless. Yes, apply that to eternity. There's time. It will go on and on and on forever. And Christ has protected his sheep from that eternity in hell. But the weight of it is also going to be infinite. And the only one that could bear that pressure is a being that is infinite. Christ himself, being God, infinite, went up and faced what we cannot imagine. What was it to be a member of the Trinity, though? This is another aspect in which we can't really understand what it was for Christ to suffer. What was it for a member of the Trinity to be separated from the other members of the Trinity. We don't quite... This is one God, one being with three persons. And yet one of them is is cut off, is put underneath the displeasure of the Father. We don't know. The greatest relationship that was ever 
was somehow severed, was broken. We know love for family. We know love for friends when we lose that. We, we, when we feel their displeasure, we understand a bit of what it means for there to be fatherly displeasure. We get that. But this is infinite displeasure. And we don't know. We cannot understand. These things are incommunicable attributes of God and of Christ and who he is. But Christ came and he faced these things courageously for us. The sacrifice of Christ for us shows how enormous his care, (coughs) how enormous his care is for us. (coughs) We cannot find out the depths of what his sacrifice meant. It was also done voluntarily. Our passage says, keeping in mind that we're still speaking about the depth to which it went. Our passage says that the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. We didn't deserve it, but Christ valued us highly enough to lay down his life voluntarily for us. John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lays down, laid down his life for his friends. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. This was all done voluntarily for us. His care is enormous. Finally, and very importantly, it was done obediently. And that communicates the enormous care and the depth that Christ went to for us. It was done obediently. This is where the care of Christ for his sheep comes down and it strikes right at the heart of our very need. What does it mean to be a sinner? It means that we have been in disobedience to God. Disobedience towards his law. We, we knew what it was, where the line was, and then we went and did the opposite. We crossed that line. We can't be obedient in and of ourselves anymore. We have already been disobedient. It's done. It's finished. We can't change it. We need someone to come and to be obedient for us. Our passage says in verse 17, Therefore doth my father love me, because I laid down my life for my sheep, that I may take it again. Skipping down to midway through verse 18, it becomes clear that this is being done in obedience um, to the father. When Christ says, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. This is how enormous Christ's care is for his sheep. Not only does he courageously go to a, to a death of which we can't comprehend the horrors, but he does it voluntarily and obediently 
in order to meet every need that we sinners have. The care of Christ for his people is enormous and it goes straight to the need, the point of our need. The second thing that I want to direct our minds to, we've kind of been focusing a little bit on Christ being the good shepherd and what he has done, what he has accomplished, and who he is as that good shepherd and how enormous that makes this care um, of his for us. I want to point out as well, though, secondly, the exclusivity of Christ's care for us. He says, first of all, in verse 7, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And then again, he says down in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There's, there's a certain exclusivity that Jesus is pointing to concerning his sheep. First of all, they enter in at the door. And Christ is the door. That's the point. The shepherd would build walls of rocks or, or, pull, together, or pull together brush. And then he would lie down to make the threshold of the door. That was his post, his position. He was the door for the sheep. Nothing was getting in unless it went through him. Nothing was getting out either. The sheep were held fast by his being there, and the wolves were held at bay. The first perspective I'd like us to look at on on this exclusive nature, I guess, um, and, and of Christ being the door, specifically just one perspective on that that we should take is to understand that there's a reference to salvation being through Christ given here. He is the only way for the sheep to enter. He is the way. He is the door. The only way to be numbered among God's people is to come into God's family or into his fold through Christ. The sheep get into the fold through him. He is the door of the sheep. You can't come into the fold except you come through him and through his work on your behalf. God's word is specific on this point of there being only one way into his family. It says there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Christ claimed in another portion, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes into the Father, comes to the Father except through me. It's just a few chapters later, John 14, 6. Again, the apostle, he said, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He is the way of salvation. 
Now, you don't get in by admitting that there's a door or just by admitting that Jesus is the door. You don't get in just by admitting it. And you don't get in by admiring him as the door. What a pretty door. No, you don't, that doesn't get you in. You don't get in by standing here in this room and discussing the fact that he is the door. Even the devils know who Jesus is. And they probably know more about him than we do in our limited state. You must go through the door. You have to come in repentance of your sin and believe that God provided Christ to be your perfect substitute, the one that obeyed perfectly in this life for you and that is worthy of being your substitute, the one that went to the cross and faced courageously that death for you. What have you done with the door this morning? What have you done with the door this morning? Have you stood and admired it? Or have you walked through it? Perhaps what's more important is what will you do with the door this morning? Another perspective that we should take on Christ being the door um, and this is perhaps more applicable to us as believers today, that nothing is getting to the sheep unless it comes through him. Think with me, if you would, on the story of Job for a moment. Here's a man. He was a child of God. He was one of the sheep. And it says at the beginning... Um, of, of the book of Job without actually turning there, um, that Job was shielded. He was shielded from the attack of, of Satan by the hand of God. It says that God had set up a hedge around him. Kind of reminds you of a sheepfold, doesn't it? A hedge being put around and there being one door. There's only one way to get to those sheep on the inside, and that's through the shepherd the one that's watching over them. And God had set up a sheep, uh, a hedge around Job, and Satan couldn't get to him. And the only way Satan could get to him was to ask God for permission. And yet God allows Satan to have his day. He does, doesn't he? He allows him to have his day with Job. And ultimately, that is for God's Glory. The good of Job is at stake there too. But Job doesn't see that all at the time of the start of the story. So what calamity is there in your life? We know that all things work together for good to them that love Christ. Your good shepherd. If there's a wolf that you're experiencing in your life. Your good shepherd still has his eyes on you. You are in his protection. And for some reason, he has allowed the fold to be removed from around you. 
and Satan to have his day chasing you, nipping at your heels, but he will be there to protect you. What good and rich blessing have you experienced recently in life? That applies the other way, too. In what ways do you feel the fold around you? Every good and perfect gift is from God. Job experienced that, too. He did. At the end of the story, uh, we find Job with double the blessings from before. He's got more cattle, more children, more everything than he had before. God restored him. No matter what place you find yourself in this morning, it has come through the Good Shepherd, through his loving and caring hands. He has enormous care for you. And it's very specific care, it's exclusive care that he has given. You are one of his precious sheep in that fold. No matter where you find yourself, know that it has come through him and it is for your good. Another way that we should maybe consider this illustration of Christ being the door is to recognize um, false teachers in the church. How, How should we recognize false teachers in the church? Christ's story has bearing on this as well. Uh, The apostles in their day could pretty much simply say, you know what, if they're not us, they're them. Did they teach you what we taught you? No, they didn't. So they're not true, true shepherds. But in our day, it's a little bit more complicated than that. We don't have the 12 apostles with us. We don't have Christ here with us, actively pointing out the false teachers. We can't just say, is that man a Presbyterian? Oh, good, he's part of the fold. (laughs) We can't. There are many good Baptists. There are many good, I won't get into listing too many denominations because I'll fail on one and then somebody will feel left out. But all that to say, there is one fold and one shepherd And here's how Christ makes it simple for us to know who it is that's a false teacher and who is not. Christ's people recognize Jesus as the only mediator, as we talked about before. (laughs) And these men will approach his people, the sheep, through him. Through the door. There is only one way that you will be able to come to the people of God and teach them or bless them. There is only one way that a minister can come and do that, and that is through the preaching of Christ. Imposters will come and they will teach. For lack of a better way of putting, putting it, and to save some time, maybe an illustration, dainty little sayings. They will teach pithy 
ideas about life and, and antidotes about how to treat it and its calamities. But a true shepherd of his sheep will preach Christ and will lead the people out through the door, through Christ, and will lead them back in through Christ. And there will be nothing of his teaching that is not about Christ and exalting him and glorifying him. He must increase. And whoever that minister is that's preaching, if he's a true minister, is going to say he must increase, I must decrease, and that Christ is the one important thing. Go to him and lead his sheep there. going to skip back here for a moment getting back to so the exclusive nature of Christ's care for us the sheep enter in at the door and even the servants of Christ the shepherds the under shepherds that he has appointed they come through the door but secondly, there is something exclusive that these sheep get to have. They hear his voice and they follow him. Believers have a tremendous privilege of hearing his voice. The voice of Christ both speaks to, speaks comforting, speaks when needed a word of reprimand, but it also sings and rejoices over us as people. We should always be attentive to hear the sound of his voice. We talked about the calamities and joys of life a few moments ago. Um, are we understanding him that he is there in those moments? We could also think about it this way. As we strive to obey his commandments, are we listening to his voice, following him? If we are, we will know his pleasure. It's an exclusive joy. It's an exclusive opportunity that we have to listen to his words, to his voice, to know his pleasure in us as we obey his commands. We hear his voice, and it's our exclusive privilege Also, their exclusive privilege is that they are known of Christ. Thirdly, in verse 27, Christ says that he knows his sheep. He has an in-depth knowledge of each and every one of them. He knows our strengths. He gave them to us. He knows our weaknesses. He gave those to us as well. This can be a little bit embarrassing <laughs> to a certain point because he, he knows us even better than we know ourselves. And so there are things many times in life we're embarrassed to tell anyone else. Christ knows those things. This is all part of his shepherding for us. As Christ walked the earth with his disciples, we can see that in, in action every single day. They all wanted preeminent positions in the kingdom. Various times they were bickering and fighting about it. One of them, 
uh, two of them had their mother come to Christ and say, which, which of my sons will be on your right and left hand? Can, can they be there? One of the disciples struggled with wavering faith. Wavering faith. Another disciple made bold statements of faith and yet denied him three times. Christ knew each and every one of them intimately. And he was grooming them in godliness day by day. day day. They had the exclusive privilege of hearing his voice, of entering in with him and having fellowship, of being rebuked, being chastened, of being led forward, of having their moments where they rejoiced and they got to see his glory in person. Christ's care was zeroed in on, on them. And he cares for us in the same way as we walk on this earth. We know and we can hear his voice. We have that tremendous privilege. I want to end just briefly this morning by talking about the fact that Jesus was prophesied in the Old Testament to be just this, this, just this shepherd. Psalm 23, we sang it this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 80 also makes reference to this great shepherd, and Psalm 95 makes reference to this shepherd. John, many of the chapters there show him as the shepherd. Specifically, Ezekiel 34 and verse 3 um, notes that the shepherd, the Messiah, will be the great shepherd of his people. Ezekiel 34 verse 11 says, I will search and I will seek out. I will find them. Verse 12, I will seek them and deliver them. I will feed them. Verse 13, verse 14, I will feed them again. Verse 15, I will cause them to lie down. This is what was foretold of who Christ would be. This is his enormous care for us, his people. There is one fold and one shepherd that he and we are all united in him. As a final point of application, I would just like to say that we are here today. We are here in his church. I guess there's several points of application that could be made. One that comes to mind very readily is that this church is in search of a pastor. I may mention a few moments ago that a real pastor will bring Christ to you. So look for that in a pastor. But... On the subject of this being a church, it is onefold. And so as we come here to this place, we should know a special unity. We should know a special fellowship. We are believers and we have a common Savior and common experience 
of being able to lift him up one to another and rejoice in him. And so I hope that as we have considered Christ as the door in some ways, Christ as the good shepherd in other ways, and specifically emphasized his care, his enormous care for us, that we would take from it an emphasis on needing to care for one another. We have that responsibility to each other today. Let's pray and ask that the Lord would be with us as we go through the rest of our day today. Dear Lord, once again, we are grateful for having been found in this place. We are thankful, so thankful for your care for us. How great it is that God, the infinite, the eternal, the unchangeable, would would look down and would bend his eye to see and care for us and to know our woes and to send his son courageously to die for us, to provide every single need that we need and that we have. And Lord, that you would give us the, uh, the incredible job, the incredible task. You say in this passage that other sheep you have, Lord, you have sheep that are not in the fold yet. You have given us the immense privilege of going and teaching and bringing in disciples. And, oh, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be faithful in that quest. Lord, we ask that you would help us as well to be faithful in encouraging one another. We have so much to be grateful to you for. And so, Lord, we ask for faithfulness as we encourage one another. Lord, we pray that you would be with each and every one of us now as we go out from this place. We are your servants, and we have come to reflect on you. Lord, we pray that this would not be just a moment that we have to glance in the mirror and see what you have accomplished for us, and then we walk away and we are unchanged. Lord, we come here to this place to see you and to be changed. And so we ask, Lord, that you would indeed give us this afternoon to reflect on the truths that we have heard. Lord, help us to go from this place and not forget these things but to take them in, to absorb them, to rejoice in them, and to apply them as you would see fit to our lives. Yet again, we ask that your word would go forth and accomplish the purpose that you have for it. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.